A two-year-old presents with a history of poor growth from 12 months of age. His parents mention he has three to four foul-smelling stools a day. What is the likely diagnosis and investigations? My impression for this child with poor growth and foul-smelling stools is celiac disease. Other differentials I'd consider include other immune-mediated, so allergic enteropathy, enteropathy, such as cow milk protein allergy, or an inflammatory bowel disease, although this is rare in young children. I would also consider infective causes such as giardiasis, giardiasis, which would lead to malabsorption and chronic diarrhea, usually only in immunocompromised children or travel to endemic areas. I would also want to consider cystic fibrosis, but I'd usually expect pulmonary manifestations as well. This may also be due to lactose intolerance or a tropical sprue, which is a chronic diarrheal disease, possibly infectious in origin, characterized by malabsorption of nutrients, but this usually only occurs in the tropics. My approach to this situation would be to perform a targeted history, examination and investigations, most, pen most importantly a celiac IgA, followed by intestinal biopsies to confirm the diagnosis, and in order to assess the severity of the gluten symptoms and associated malnutrition and exclude differentials. I would want to then provide appropriate management in an MDT setting with, initiating, with initiation of a lifelong gluten-free diet. As part of the assessment of the patient on history, I'd want to ask about uh, symptoms of celiac disease, including the onset, duration, progression, and associated symptoms. So I'd want to ask about the classic gastrointestinal symptoms, uh, usually presenting between 6 to 24 months after gluten is introduced into the diet. It's often a chronic and recurring diarrhea, abdominal distension, and pain and signs of malabsorption. So this would include things like steatorrhea, failure to thrive, growth failure, delayed puberty, symptoms of hypocalcemia, neurologic disorders due to vitamin D B deficiency, osteopenia from vitamin D deficiency, iron deficiency anemia. As well as this, their stools are often bulky and foul smelling and may float because of the trapped air. If there's any blood in the stools, it would be be more suggestive of IBD and not be consistent with celiac. Uh, on history, I might also ask about extra intestinal manifestations of celiac disease, which may actually be the main presenting symptoms. So this would include growth and development, so short stature, delayed puberty, neurological manifestations, which is contributed to by a decrease in vitamin B. So this includes developmental delay, hypotonia, learning disorders, headache, cerebellar ataxia, and epilepsy, and potentially gynecological associations like reduced infertility, endocrine associations like autoimmune thyroid disease or type 1 diabetes. Other associations may include autoimmune hepatitis, IBD, rheumatoid arthritis, sarcoidosis, selective IgA deficiency, for their skin, they may have dermatitis hepatiformis, although this is rare in children. And this is an itchy, popular vesicular eruption, usually located symmetrically on the extensor surfaces of the elbows, knees, buttocks, sacrum, face, neck, and trunk. 
They might also have dental enamel defects or arthritis. On history, I'd also want to ask about their diet and their nutrition uh, and the association between the onset of symptoms uh, after introduction of gluten. Um, I would ask about their current diet, if, whether it's normal, if it's heavy in gluten, if there have been any recent changes, if there are any difficulties with feeding or, in, or adequate nutrition that may be contributing to poor growth, such as a restricted diet, if the child is a picky eater, etc. I'd also, on history, want to be excluding differentials. So for infective, I'd ask about recent travels, infections, tropical sprue, lactose intolerance. I'd ask about the association between symptoms and dairy intake. CF, I'd ask about respiratory symptoms and the newborn screening results. On history, I'd also ask about risk factors. So medical would include a family history of celiac disease and associated medical conditions, as mentioned above. Uh, I would then proceed to complete the rest of the paediatric history, including the birth history, past medical history, allergies, especially to food, family history and social history. On examination, I would want to check the general appearance of the child and then checking the growth parameters of the child, including height, weight and head circumference plotted on the appropriate growth charts and compare this to previous growth, ideally, which should be recorded in the blue book. Looking for evidence of poor growth, uh, so this would be if they were below the third centile or if they were tracking downwards across centiles. I would check the skin for dermatitis hepatiformis and conduct a gastrointestinal exam, checking for dental enamel hypoplasia, oral ulcers, abdominal distension. For my investigations, the diagnostic would be um, serological testing. So this is tissue transglutaminase IgA, so TTG IgA, which is first line and also useful for follow-up. Other tests include, if other tests would be conducted if the TTG IgA was equivocal. So this includes the anti-endomycele antibodies, EMA IgA, or deamidated gliadin peptide, DPG, and anti-gliadin antibodies. Part, serological testing may also include a total IgA, um, although an IgA deficiency may give false negatives for above. So if there was an IgA deficiency, you would measure the TTG IgG, which is less specific. Other diagnostic tests aside from serological testing includes endoscopy with intestinal biopsy. You would take four samples from the distal duodenum and at least one from the duodenal bub, bulb. You'd be looking for atrophy of the intestinal villi with crypt hyperplasia and increased intraepithelial lymphocytes. If the results were unclear or the child is already on a gluten-free diet, you'd consider HLA testing for HLA DQ2 slash DQ8. Um, and it's important to note that testing should ideally be done while the patient is on a gluten-free diet. At the bedside, you'd also consider a stool MCS and OCP over cysts parasites to exclude infectious differentials. Laboratory investigations you'd also consider include checking for uh, ma uh, signs of malabsorption due to the celiac disease. So a full blood count plus minus iron studies for anemia, LFTs, celiac disease being associated with liver disease, EUCs and CMP for 
uh, hypocalcemia and electrolyte abnormalities, nutrients like vitamin B12, folate, vitamin D, and you'd consider screening for diabetes mellitus and thyroiditis if this was clinically relevant, so a BSL and a TSH. Management would include consultation with a dietitian and education about the disease. It would be very important for the patient to adhere to a gluten-free diet. A gluten-free diet requires a major lifestyle change and it's important to provide written information and dietary counselling to, to improve compliance, ideally from a dietitian with expertise in celiac disease. General advice would include avoiding all foods containing wheat, rye and barley. It's safe to eat rice, corn, buckwheat and potatoes, soybean or tapioca flours. The tolerance of oats varies and needs to be pure, so uncontaminated by other grains. It's important to read labels on unprepared foods and condiments carefully, paying particular attention to additives such as stabilizers or emulsifiers that may contain gluten. The patient should avoid dairy products initially as it's common to have a secondary lactose intolerance and this may be added back to the diet three to six months later as the mucosa has started to heal. Medications generally contain minimal gluten and do not need to be avoided except antacid medications which can use wheat flour. A gluten-free diet is low in fibre and may induce constipation, so you can add gluten-free fibre supplementation to the diet. So aside from counselling about adherence to a gluten-free diet, you'd also uh, want to treat the nutritional deficiencies, correcting any nutritional deficiencies like iron or vitamin B12, um, and it should normalise after recovery, although they may require ongoing vitamin D and calcium. Um, I'd also suggest to the patient's parents that they join an advocacy group and it's recommended to join the state celiac society. In the long term, the patient should be managed with continuous long-term follow-up by a multidisciplinary team and it's recommended that children with celiac disease be follow up, followed up long-term to monitor the disease activity and compliance to prevent com complications like growth failure, iron deficiency anemia and osteoporosis and increased risk of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma in adults. I'd also want to, in the long term, assess the symptoms and celiac serology six months after the initiation of the gluten-free diet and this should start to normalise and it needs to be followed up yearly for the first few years once they're stable and follow up every two years. So follow-up includes a complete physical examination, monitoring their growth, dietary review, celiac serology and other tests such as the full blood count, EUC, LFT, iron studies, vitamin D, TFT. I'd also consider family screening for celiac disease in first degree relatives. So screening would be a total IgA, anti-TTG IgA, anti-DPG IgG and plus minus HLA testing.